Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. Each week, we bridge the gap between science and in-the-trench experience for physique enhancement. I'm your host, John Jewett. Let class begin. All right, everybody, welcome to J3U Podcast. And I'm John your host, and with me is Luke Miller, my co-host. And we have a fun episode with the Hunter Labrada. Um, coming from his Olympia debut, going now into the Chicago Pro. We're both 11 days out for the Chicago I was about to say, man, stoked that you're doing it with me. It's going to be fun. Uh, Texas is going to be very well represented, I feel like, between the Open and the 212. So, it'll be good. Oh, yeah, I agree. It's it's so confusing telling people, like, uh, it's the Chicago Pro. It's like, oh, you're going to love Chicago. It's like, no, it's in Atlanta. And they're like, what? And it's really shitty because I really do love Chicago. Like, I've only been there one time, and it was when Brian uh, competed in whichever shows there, Junior USA's. Or, is it, yeah, Junior Nationals is there. So that's the only time I've ever been there, and it's, like, sick there. So, yeah, bum does not there. I did Chicago in 2019, and, I, of course, it's the Chicago Pro. It's a great show, but I, have, I, can't, I can't lie. Like, part of the reason I picked it was because – Chicago and I've never had Chicago pizza um did you get a Chicago pizza when you're out there we got I did two things we did Chicago pizza and then um we went to this cheeseburger place and it was called Oshaval and it's like this like 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 countrywide famous cheeseburger place like we put our name in and got to eat two hours later kind of deal but damn it it was worth it it was like the first time in my life I could say it was worth it so it was like a sick day like Brian finished up with the show we went and ate cheeseburgers at this place there was like a big like outdoor music festival farmers market thing going on walked around got all sunburned so it was a good memory in Chicago. But, yeah, no, we're going to make good memories in Chicago, Atlanta, whatever, the Chilanta Pro, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. No, there's, a, there's one called Eight, Eight Sushi Lounge. We've, been, okay. we've already researched it. So <laughs> that's supposed I to was going to say, I need to get with you and Renee because you all seem pretty serious about your post-show food. I need to Let's go watch eating YouTube videos. They got, like, the breakfast lineup in one of them that's, like, the whole table fucking covered. And yeah, like, I don't they know do, They do it, about, like, but... both ways, though, because y'all will go, like, to restaurants and get, like, the tastiest-looking stuff ever. But I've seen y'all cook some stuff that looks fantastic, too. Yeah. We, we like our food. We don't get a lot of it, when we, but when we do, it better be damn good quality. Like, that's... You make like, it count. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, John, John, are you the kind of guy that if your bowl of cream of rice or oatmeal isn't like perfect, it's going in the sink and you're making I, it again? Absolutely. Okay. I'm just making sure we're on the same page. <laughs> the closer I get to the show, the more bowls that go in the sink, too. Yeah. R- Renee, like, she, her, she comes from like a family that, like, you know, they, they weren't like extremely well off. So, like, throwing food away was not really an option. So, every time it happens to her, she looks at, like, maybe I'll just eat it, babe. Like, no, no, give it to me, throw it away. <laughs> like, we, we, uh, we can sacrifice some carbs easily for the, the cheap ingredients. But, yeah. um, mush is life towards the end. <laughs> mush is life. Well, anyway, man, like, uh, coming off Olympia, coming off any stage, like, like we all do, like the off season, it's probably already in the mind before you even hit the stage. So coming off Olympia, you knew you had areas that you want to improve on looking over your stage picks. Like what, 
what does that kind of like analysis look like for you coming from Olympia in off season? And did you already have a timeline set for like, Hey, this many weeks will I'll, I'll do this show and I'll off season for this long or kind of take, take me through your thought process coming off Olympia for improving. So thought process coming off of Olympia. I always look at myself through two different lenses, you know, when I finish up a show and that's one you know, was enough tissue there? If there wasn't enough tissue, where does the tissue need to go? The other lens is, you know, what was the conditioning like? Was your water was your water balance right? You know, where did you look the way you wanted to? Where could you have been more fat free if there was any fat left on your body? That kind of thing. So, you know, with the Olympia, um, you know, after the year that I had, I was relatively happy with the conditioning. I feel like it could have been a little better, but you know, whenever I consider the fact that, you know, I, I spent that entire off season kind of coming back from a shoulder surgery. And then I spent, you know, I started prep literally February 1st for what was going to be the New York Pro on May 18th. But uh, we all know how that year went, thanks COVID. So, you know, started prep February 1st, ended up competing in Tampa in the beginning of August. And then, you know, stayed loaded up and, uh, you know, went all the way through to the Olympia in December, you know, it was, it was a long ass year on my body. So um, conditioning wise of the Olympia, I was relatively happy with how we looked. Could have been better. Yes. But, you know, with the, the year that my body had had, it, it is what it is. Um, the more important, you know, lens for me that I said I looked through was, you know, where does the tissue need to go? Where do we need more size? Because, you know, obviously, I'm one of the younger guys in men's open. I'm one of the newer guys in men's open and uh, I still have some growing to do. Um, you know, from the waist down, I feel like I can hold my own, you know, I feel like I can always be better, but I feel like I can hold my own from the waist down from the waist up. Uh, it was very apparent, you know, looking at the pictures, you know, the difference between, you know, the top six and then, you know, outside of the top six is that that upper body sense. For me, you know, like looking at the pictures, comparing myself to them, you know, it's like, okay, legs are pretty much there, but you know, you need, you know, another seven to nine pounds up top was the number I had in my head, you know, so seven to nine pounds, not going to happen in one year. Um, seven to nine pounds, mainly in my, my back and chest too. I'll say that too. I, I was decently happy with how my shoulders and arms looked. Um, you know, once again, it's bodybuilding. You can never have too big arms though, right? So, um, so you know, finished up with the Olympia, knew that I had had a long year, so gave myself a full month to just kind of, you know, train and eat and, you know, just chill. And we always set a plan. I'm never one of those guys to kind of fly by the seat of their pants. So, you know, we finished up and when we thought about 2021, um, you know, first and foremost, when we were like planning, we were planning on another December Olympia, you know, so that was, you know, the, the first, uh, well, damn of this year was, you know, whenever they announced the Olympia is going to be in October, not in December. Cause it's like, okay, I just lost two months of, you know, my little, my little plan. And, you know, unfortunately those two months are the, you know, relax, give your body time to get healthy, chill. You know, those are the two months that I lost. Cause you know, we're going to finish up with Chicago. We're going to be like 10 out, I think. Yeah. 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 So it's like, you, there's no time, you know, you go home, we're going to eat for, you know, a week maybe, and then it's time to, like, you know, writing it back in, you know, I'm going to try and push my body weight up, um, you know, I'm talking about all this, like, I'm going to handle business in Chicago, like, I'm planning on, I'm not just talking about that, like, it's a sure thing either, but that's a whole different subject, but, um, yeah, 
So set the plan. Uh, plan was Olympia was going to be in December, so we were going to pick a show, you know, mid-year. So we had time to a grow in the off season, b have a prep for that show in the mid-year, and then c you know have some time to a let the body rest and then b you know really rebound and try and add some more size before we started pulling back down for the Olympia. Um, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but the Olympia is in October, obviously, and we're competing, and we're going to be ten weeks out when we finish up Chicago. So um, that threw not a wrench in the plan, but it's obviously not optimal, um, especially you know I feel like with my body type because I don't have a problem getting lean, but my body does get tired, you know, after a while. So um, it is what it is. Was always Chicago? Was that always the pick before you knew? The yeah, no, Chicago. Chicago was always the pick, um, you know, New York, if it was the date it was supposed to be May, you know, yeah. it's like we finished up in December and if you take a full four months, you know, you're starting prep February 1st, there was going to be no time for improvement with that. So I know I wanted to do a show, you know, like July or, uh, you know, early August. Um, you know, I had done Tampa already. I won Tampa and I didn't want to, you know, exit all in one basket because, you know, the cutoff for the Olympia is, is it Tampa or Texas? It's Texas, right? Well, now it's Texas. Of course, back then we didn't we didn't even know the cutoff, so or that the Texas Pro existed or had opened. Yeah, I don't know if yeah, yeah. So, like just for me too. Like I was like, well, if the Olympia's in December, I don't know the Which, cutoff is still Tampa. You know, yeah, if I would have known about the Texas Pro after I walked off stage the Olympia last year, it being the first year and it being back in Texas and it you know, being the time frame that it was, I probably honestly would have ended up, you know, doing that show. But, you know, with what was on the table, it was Chicago. That's the timing that worked out best. I feel like it's a big, you know, show outside of like the Arnolds and the Olympias. It's not like a step back or sideways from Tampa, you know. So that's always been my thing is don't take steps backwards. And it's still, that's still not like even our ideal time frame, right? Because probably if it was in December, hitting a show like, late September as a qualifier or early November probably would have been ideal, but we didn't know then um, because Chicago, like when we had Olympia, we're like, all right, this is, we're probably going December. You'd, you'd have maybe what, like a seven month period. You have two yeah. months of kind of down, downish time. Um, it's still a shorter off season though, you know, and then from that Chicago to maybe December, that's a tough kind of it's it's a real funky schedule right it doesn't really give you a great off season ever but what i what i saw is like you made significant improvement regardless like within this time period um and yeah and you know um i feel like those terms you know like off season and in contest prep and stuff are like way too synonymous with you know like getting super fat or I'm getting super shredded, you know, it's not growing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, it's like people see how lean I stay in the off season. It's not because like I kill myself. It's because I have a fast metabolism, but you know, like when I start prep and, you know, we start putting things back in my protocol, but I'm still eating, you know, six, seven, eight, 900 grams of carbs a day, I'm going to grow. And, you know, at this point, like with this prep, like I had, good energy in the gym and was truly pushing my logbook until four weeks out you know so if i'm if i'm doing that then then something's happening you know so people get so stuck up on well i'm not growing one bit because i'm 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 in a deficit or i'm i'm in prep and they're not even really in a deficit because they're early on in prep and you know they, they they pull back on stuff and they you know don't train as hard and i feel like that's why 
I was able to make, you know, that kind of progress was, you know, we were training like it was the off season because, you know, my, my calories were off season high to be blunt at the start of prep. And we just kept on rolling with it until, you know, probably about a week ago now where it's just, you know, shit started tanking, you know, but it is what it is. I think, I think that's an excellent point to pull out because our phases are, they're really uh, pretty much all conjoined within one. Like it just, things change, like variables change for us as we move closer to shows or further away from shows. But to just say like, I went into lower calorie and all of a sudden that flips off the switch for building tissue. That's really not the case at some point, high level, maybe. Yeah. Um, but we see it all the time. Like you can still grow even in a deficit, like you still accrue tissue. And of course, like we have like the, you know, performance enhancing substances that will definitely alter the balance. Um, and, and that plays a big factor into it. But yeah, if of course, I that, that, and that and obviously your metabolism slash genetics, but you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to smart nutritional programming because you can be in a decent sized deficit where you're getting lean, but have your carbs and your fats arranged in a way around training time where you can keep yeah. training performance so high that, because, you know, you're trying to cause a, a response in the gym. You're not, you, you know, so if you're able to cause that response and push training performance and you're still eating as much protein as you are, because you're never not eating enough protein, you, you, the, 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 the factors for growth are present, especially in a contest prep phase, you know, like where the androgens are really high. So you, yeah. you brought up something about fatigue management and your prep feeling like the perceptions easier. I want to get into that because I think that's really important to also keep improving. But, but going back um, earlier, like the, the initial like training setup, knowing you needed um, like back and chest, like what, what did that mean? Because is it a full swap of your training program? Or was it more looking at like, hey, what exercise, why am I not getting these areas to grow? Am I exercise execution off? Like what was, what was the main thing that you found in, in your programming or just in your execution that had to improve for those body parts to keep, keep uh, coming up? So... If you had asked me, like, uh, at the beginning of 2020 or even, like, you know, like halfway through 2019, I definitely would have said it was a, a uh, definitely a mechanics, like, form execution thing that needed to be corrected. Um, but, you know, I feel like I did a very good job of, you know, becoming a student of the lower lat contraction game because that's basically what I was after was more lower lats and you know got to the point where you know I'm never going to say you do anything perfect but I feel like I, I'm able to get a, a very you know optimal positioning and contraction and you get everything we look for in the exercise so you know once I got to that point which you know I feel like I got to that point for sure by the start of 2020 um, I definitely think it fell more on a frequency and a volume thing than it did, you know, like a exercise selection or a form thing. Because, uh, you know, frankly, I, I train extremely low volume, like six to eight sets uh, for, you know, across the board. So I was training on a modified push-pull leg split. So push-pull, arms, legs off, you know, repeat with the focus for the leg day, you know, alternating between a ham focus and a quad focus. So you know, I was doing, um, it was a, so it was a uh, five day training cycle. So every 10 days I was doing, you know, maybe, you know, 12 to 16 sets from my back. You know, it's not a lot of volume. And, you know, whenever, if I was, you know, completely even or something and everything was growing at the same rate, that might be okay. But, you know, obviously I had body parts that we wanted to bring up and, uh, 
you know, it just worked really well to shift things around. And really, like, we legitimately doubled my back volume by going to, you know, a full seven-day split. And I de we de detailed all this in a YouTube video. I'm sorry, I'm kind of rambling about it. It's a lot to, like, think about and talk. Yeah, you know, for sure. About. For sure. But, um, you know, so we went to a uh, seven-day split that has, you know, like, a true hamstring day and a true quad day. But on the hamstring day, you know, I'm deadlifting and doing, you know, four working sets of lats. And then on the other back day, you know, it's a complete, you know, this complete back day. And, you know, it's a little bit higher in volume than I was doing. You know, it's typically like eight to ten sets now instead of six to eight. So, you know, in the fourth, I basically just kind of like not doubled my volume, but significantly increased it. That and then for the push day, you know, we have like a push, like a true push day where I literally do, you know, four presses and dips. And then we have, you know, like a push day and it's basically like all of the isolation movements. So, you know, two variations of a fly, two variations of a lateral and uh, then, you know, then triceps with it. So I was able to increase the volume on my chest too uh, without really increasing the wear and tear on my joints tremendously, which was a big one because I do get, you know, elbows, in, uh, you know, inflamed and hurt, you know, if I start pressing too much like most people do. Yeah, there, there's always this big debate. It's like, it'll never end, I feel like. We're like volume versus intensity and like training to failure or you don't train to failure. It's like black or white. You're low volume or you're high volume. You're not both. And I, I think that is insightful because you kind of like trend between these two extremes. And, you know, you have volume allocated to body parts that just need more. And then deprioritize low, even lower volume to areas that you don't need as much. Um, but yeah, or that don't require as much stimulus. You know, that was another reason we went to the new split, for example, because that arm day, you know, it had essentially become like a 25, 30 minute workout that was like five, like literally five working sets. Like it was, a, especially on prep, it was a waste of a day from an energy expenditure pan standpoint, which was another big reason that we, you know, did the, the split switch when we did was, you know, every single day now is definitely a hard day from an energy expenditure standpoint. There's no, you know, easy days, if you will. And I mean, I know you brought arms up, but I mean, once you've brought arms up, kind of taking that arm day out, it kind of moves it to closer to, you can still improve them, but it's closer to a, like a maintenance level now. And it's justifiable to be able to have those extra days allocated to back or more chest work. Um, did you find, cause that's a different setup with having more compound push day than having a second push day that's kind of more isolation. Um, do you find that isolation push day just to be overall less systemically taxing? Because that's the day before you do your like back and hams deadlift day, right? That's the day before um, the, uh, the the hard back day, like the long back day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so honestly, it's funny that you said that because that's kind of what I was about to say was you know, I keep on going back to, especially when I'm prep. Well, you know, I made the switch when I'm prep for all of these reasons, you know, um, mentally knowing I'm going to the gym and not having to press and, you know, get like under any like extreme weight, you know, A is good for my like actual CNS fatigue and like, but, but mentally like it, it, it's an easier day mentally per se. And that makes a big difference, you know, for me to walk in there and attack, you know, like the isolation work. 
And, you know, it just, it, 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 it works well for me, you know, essentially at the end of the day, um, I'm a big believer, especially on prep that, you know, you got to Jedi mind trick yourself with things. And you know, from, so. from an injury perspective for point two, like you said, your elbows kind of give you trash, like having that one day where you press and then kind of leave it alone probably helps with the management of that as you build up fatigue across the prep as well. Right. Exactly. And, you know, so, Obviously, they're getting used more where they're getting beat up when I try and bicep and tricep. So, you know, my elbows really are only getting, you know, really like heavy stimulus two days a week now instead of, you know, like every single day but legs. So it's made it's made a big difference for that, um, you know, that and then just being really on top of my prehab work for them for a while now. Right. And like, I can't, I just can't press that much every day and doing something like even, I don't know if you do you change the rep range at all on that day, or is it still like, you know, I don't know if you know. I'll typically at, at this point, um, I haven't really messed around with my rep range much. I'm typically always, you know, aiming for like a nine to 11 typically. Okay. Yeah. It's even so, isolation movements. Yeah. It's still right around there. Yeah, and, you know, on some of the isolation movements, you know, the back offset, I might, you know, I do like a 25% reduction instead of like a 15, and, you know, I go for like a 12 to 15 or something like that. But, you know, the, the first working set for across the board is typically like a 9 to 11. Yeah, and I think, uh, Luke, you were saying like fatigue management is huge just with an isolation day like that, right? Yeah, and that's one of the big things across a prep, too, is like fatigue is probably the number one driver of lack of progress across a prep, and especially when we're trying to basically be in a state of fatigue across the entire prep. Um, and if it sets up that back day where you need the volume as well, that to me is probably the best sequential thought process there when it comes to like placing that day into a day that's going to be a little bit more uh, fatiguing overall. One of the questions I did have, though, as we kind it's of- funny that you said that, Luke, because that was the feedback that came out the other end of me actually shooting the split to John. Because initially, I had the the pressing day the day before that big back day, and then the isolation day just off by itself before the quad day. And he was like, "Why don't you switch this and this? Because it's going to set you up better for that stretch, especially since back's a priority." And I was like, "That's why I sent it to you, buddy. Thank you." <laughs> I, I forgot that was my, part of my feedback. I was like, all right. <laughs> my yeah, no, that was like, honestly, <laughs> the best feedback that came out of it was, was that. And you just set yourself up for it. You forgot about it, the prep brain, right? Yeah. One, of the, one of the things I wanted to ask is the, the pulling in of the deadlift so close to the show um, on the floor. Because just from like a fatigue management standpoint, especially as that waist size is coming down, we're losing that circumference or brace capacity it's going to probably drive a little bit more fatigue than other exercise selection like where where did the thought process behind that come from especially when we're looking at patterns that bring up back specifically um and, and devoting as much volume as we can to that yeah so obviously uh deadlifting from the floor not that great of an exercise specifically just for you know back development but um it wasn't just a, okay, I want to, I want to thicker back. Like I really wanted, you know, like from like, you know, like floor to, you know, like trap, I wanted thicker everywhere. And, you know, the, the rack pulls that we were doing, I would argue were more taxing than pulling from the floor the way that we set them up because 
you know, I was pulling, you know, a full, you know, two inches below the patella with, you know, we used a game scale one time, you know, at the lockout, it was 220 pounds worth of band tension and we were pulling, you know, 545 on the bar. So, you know, significantly more weight, you know, and I, I feel like I handled it well and my body was used to it. And it was one of those movements that, you know, intrinsically maybe that I was just attached to, you know, at the end of the day, there is some of that in my split too. I will say that, you know, I'm just intrinsically attached to these exercises, you know, somewhat. Um, I've gotten away from, you know, being intrinsically attached to things that I have no business being in a split, but, you know, for me to be like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to deadlift on my hamstring day and, you know, I've never been a deadlifter from the floor kind of guy. So for me, that being such a novel stimulus, it's made a big difference. And, you know, I know, you know, appropriate reception is not everything, but, you know, the feeling that I get in my hamstrings and the level of fatigue and like just like smokeness I have from doing the deadlifts into my hamstring work has been a really cool thing for me. So and, you know, at the end of the day, it's what you can recover from, right? And, you know, I did it for the Tampa prep. I did it for the Olympia prep. And then I've done it this entire prep, too. And it's never been, you know, like, oh, my God, my SI joints are killing me. Or, you know, like my lower back's always blowing up. Or, you know, I don't even want to get up to go pee right now. I'm so tired. So it's just it, – it's worked well for me. It would be the best way to answer it. Was RDL ever on the table for that? Um, I've never really connected well with RDLs from the standpoint of using them for both a hamstring and a lower back movement because, you know, the second I get the load to a load that I can't do, you know, like 15 or 20 reps with, I feel like it predominantly just like my lower back takes over. So um, it's definitely an exercise that I spent a lot of time, you know, like messing around with. I, I've been able to get the best feeling for myself personally by using like a little bit of toe elevation and either using dumbbells or getting in a Smith machine so I can really just focus on the hip hinge. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's just, you know, you get good at whatever you do a lot of. And I haven't done a lot of hip hinging in my training career, if I'm being honest with you. It's been a, you know, I started rack pulling consistently probably about a year and a half ago. And I started pulling from the ground consistently for the first time, like three months ago, four months ago. Before that, it had never been a consistent thing. So that's interesting because usually like that's a beginning movement for people and then people kind of phase out of doing it which uh you're you're flipped now you're like phasing into doing like hip hinges and pulls which i, I almost like <laughs> there's a lot of similarities with us hunter because like i need chest and back and our splits are pretty similar but i'm also very emotionally attached to deadlifting like i just i just truly enjoy doing it well see and you you, you you're an incredible deadlifter you have your powerlifting background obviously but like you look at your physique from behind and you can tell you've deadlifted as much as you have that's the look that i want and that's the look that i'm going for and that's the, the reason the exercise got put in yeah. Like you're, you're a great example of why the exercise got put in. You know, you look at your back shots, and that guy fucking deadlifts, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you have, you have that, like, because I, I go back and forth with Luke all the time, like how, because I want that erector thickness, you know, that it's just, you can tell, like someone that's done their work with heavy loading of the spine, deadlifting or whatever it may be, it's there. And to not have that, your back just doesn't look complete. So I'm like, how do we bias that as bodybuilders without creating so much systemic fatigue 
that it's like um, not productive for our other movements. I will have to say, I think this, this whole fatigue discussion has gotten a little, little overblown and it's taken people like just away from just training hard or training too, too little as well. And well, you know, what I think, I think it comes down to is I think the people that, you know, have been able, and, you know, for the large part, I consider it to be a good thing, been able to position themselves as educators or leaders in our field, you know, both as athletes and coach slash educators, you know, like, like you and Luke are, you're an athlete as well, and Luke's an athlete as well. You, you get what I'm saying. Um, but, oh, crap brain, man. Fatigue management. We're going over, like, how overblown. Fatigue. Okay, yeah, fatigue management. It's become, like, one of those things where it's, like, people like you and me and Luke and John and, you know, like a bunch of like the up and coming guys in the IFBB, we all have the work capacity and the head on our shoulders too. If we don't check it, you know, it, we drive ourselves into the ground, you know, at the end of the day though, it takes a really long time to build that mentality and that work capacity to the point where you're truly going to exceed your body's ability to recover, especially whenever you have everything in check, you know? So I feel like it's one of those things that, you know, like, you know, 210 pound Joe Blow from the gym has watched a lot of videos of, you know, tippity top of the line bodybuilder XYZ who really does just put his nose to the grindstone every single day for the last decade. And, you know, at times he's got a feather to the throttle. I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, well, I'm a little tired and achy today. I might be training too hard. I need to pull back. My fatigue management's off, you know, and that's, yeah. that's, that's not what it is, you know. And I also think it's not like we don't have to always find like the best stimulus to fatigue ratios. And that, that's, it's, it's a great concept. I think it has a ton of application for people to understand fatigue, but at the same time, if, if we wanted like the best stimulus and fatigue, we'd probably just be doing only isolation exercises and our workouts would be like fucking 20 exercises long. So you also have to program from like an efficiency standpoint as well too. And in and, an and enjoyment standpoint, like I came into this as someone that loved to train, not really like I wanted to get big, of course, but I mean, I, it's truly was down. Like I just loved getting in the gym, getting stronger and training. So I need movements that I enjoy doing. So if there is the optimal and there's one that's maybe it's a little less optimal, but I'm really excited about doing it. If I'm excited and put the enjoyment and effort into that, I'll probably see better progression than doing something I'm not that excited about doing. So I, I think that trade-off's fair enough and, and perfectly acceptable to do. On that note, though, Hunter, you had made a statement you know, about... I was just going to say a phrase that I'm really fond of that's really kind of applicable to what we're talking about is don't get paralysis by analysis. You know, we can, you know, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you write your split, you run your split, you're going to know in three or four weeks if it's too much or not. And then you can regulate your volume from there. You know, it, people get so concerned and, you know, need to talk to this guy and then this person. And then, well, what do you think about this volume? And well, this exercise here instead of there. And then, well, this day, I want to manage my spinal loading. It was like, Dude, just, just run it for a month and see how your body feels, you know? So paralysis by analysis yeah. is a real thing. It's, it's <laughs> like, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, John and I are debating my sessions quite a bit right now, right? And, like, how much do I need to RDL with the amount of heat development I have? And, like, for me, it's an enjoyment factor thing, but I, I'm very aware of, like, 
you know, it's driving hamstring loading, but it's probably driving a little more glute loading with the way I execute it. And like finding that balance of enjoyment to, to what needs to be in the program. But one of the comments you made Hunter is that the majority of your sessions have thrown out a lot of those things that you are emotionally attached to. And so there is that point where you have to decide, okay, am I doing everything I can to be the best bodybuilder I am and how emotionally attached across the entire program is someone. Um, and I think like some of the prime examples and you can walk us through more is like including things like that Nautilus pull down, like that, that Nautilus lap pull down that you have at your facility. Like that's like a piece I'm thinking about buying just for having up here. It's like those kind of movement patterns that people may be missing if they're trying to analyze your stuff a little bit too in depth where it's like, yeah, okay, he might be doing deadlifting that might not be the best pattern, but look at the rest of his fucking program that's hyper-specific to the things that he needs to be doing. So just kind of like walk us through like maybe some of the things that you've had to detach yourself from and like some of the things you feel like you're getting a lot out of within your program so they can see like the, the positive decisions too where you've had to detach from that. Yeah, so some of the things that I've gotten away from, um, you know, I'm going to speak solely just about back development just because that's basically the only thing that I really feel like I have been attached to that don't, I don't need to be attached to because everything else I've, you know, been, I've latched on to things that were okay to latch on to, I guess, you know, but, uh, you know, for back for the longest time, you know, it was okay. You want a big back, you know, do weighted pull-ups and, you know, do bent over rows every single workout. And I was like, okay, cool. Bet. And then, you know, so for three years during college, you know, pretty much every single back session, I would do, you know, weighted pull-ups and bent over rows and, you know, some kind of like pull down and cable row. And that'd be, you know, that'd be the back day for the day, maybe deadlift or something, you know, like once in a blue moon. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, and as my understanding grew and grew and grew and grew and grew, you know, um, I was using my upper back to do basically everything and my physique reflected it. I wasn't using my lower lat to do anything. You know, I was, you know, doing bent over barbell rows mainly with my traps with a, you know, elbow pattern that, you know, is impossible to engage the lat because it's going out. It's not going back, you know, and the biggest difference for me, and I'll, I'll shout him out for this. It was, uh, you know, getting to work with Joe Bennett for a while. He really, you know, kind of opened my eyes up to, and I'll, I'll use this phrase is, you know, the biggest difference came from when I started training my physique from an anatomical standpoint. What is going to put myself in the most braced position to get the insertion to the origin as close as possible while having the best resistance profile? And, you know, that's a mouthful for most people, but I know I can say that to y'all and be like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to cause as strong a contraction as possible and as biomechanically as correct a position with as heavy a load as possible. And, you know, whenever he told me that and, you know, took me through the workouts and, you know, really, you know, opened my eyes up to, you know, like just getting in the positioning to even having a lower lat contraction in the first place, you know, it really, you know, like I went home and it just turned everything on, on its head, you know, everything was, you know, okay, you're training quads. Well, how can I get as much knee flexion out of this exercise as possible? Because that's what my quads are responsible for is my knee flexion. And it, it just completely changed the way I thought about training. That was like the biggest thing. And that honestly helped me, you know, get rid of any of those emotional attachments that I had to pretty much anything. Because, you know, it's like, 
well, why the fuck am I doing a pull-up like this if I need lower lats? And the only way to have my lower lat engaged is have that elbow tucked and driven and close to the body. You know, it's like weighted pull-ups are pointless for what I'm trying to do. You know, like bent over rows, you know, like I can't keep my elbow tucked. I don't have the wrist mobility to do that. It's not engaging my lower lat as much as something else. So, you know, the second that the light bulb went off to really look at things from a biomechanic and, you know, anatomical standpoint, that's when, you know, I lost pretty much all the attachment to anything I shouldn't be doing. Like, that yeah the the attachment was like hey i want to grow <laughs> you know not well, at, at the end, at the end of the day I, I have fun training you know the way the way that i do and you know i have fun you know per, it, it being a contest with myself i was never like oh my god i got a bench presser oh my god i got a deadlift or, oh my god i got a squat you know like i'd go through my phases of exercises for sure but at the end of the day the thing that brought me the most enjoyment in the gym was just, you know, like I didn't use a logbook until recently, but, you know, like pushing the logbook because, you know, it's like you got a photographic memory with weights we lift, right? If you're serious, me dead. So I was always just trying to be a little bit better than the last time. And then, yeah, I just loved watching myself change in the mirror. So, you know, the attachments to exercises necessarily weren't there so much as the attachment to growth. And once you know, the light bulb went off. Well, this is the fastest way to grow. I became very attached to that very quickly. You know, I think, I think a lot of it comes down to like, you get attached to more of a, a, a belief system and you want to believe in the system and, and, and that you're in the process of truly improving. Cause I, I came from like powerlifting, but also my first introduction was like DC training. And the system was so, so well, and it's still great. It's nothing against it. I'm just an example here that I believed in it. And the fact, like I believed in this thing of going in the gym and executing you know, the DC training was going to get me the outcome. And I, you know, I think changing like what Joe Bennett did for you, he kind of changed your belief system and to where you 100% believe that doing these things would lead to the improvements and outcomes that you wanted to see. And that's exciting and the enjoyment of it. Uh, I think changing, changing the thought process of, of not that you're doing something that, and you don't believe in it or you doubt it, that you like can truly hundred percent buy into it. I think anything like with coaching athletes, like once they buy into your process, they're full on board and will be really adherent. But the ones that don't are usually the ones that are kind of like sidelining and aren't fully bought in yet. But um, I, I think uh, developing the education along the way is, is huge for us as bodybuilders. Um, I will say this, though, it worked really well that I discovered, you know, like Joe and that method of training, you know, after I had put, you know, like six to eight years of, you know, just nose to the grindstone doing the hard shit in. Yeah, because I don't believe I don't believe it's the best way to train, you know, initially from the get go, because I do feel like it takes a long time to make the kind of connection that you need to do to truly train that way. And you are better served, you know, like hitting more compounds and stuff early on. And, you know, everyone's different. And obviously, you know, like if someone was working with like you or me or Luke every single day, that's a really different story than them, you know, like buying access to an app or watching, you know, like YouTube videos of how to do it. You know, you can get them up to snuff really quick if you're working with them in person, but you know, like your average just going to the gym person, I feel like they're, they're they are well served, you know, like go on that little, little journey of figuring out how to just work hard because you know I agree man I, I think there's a lot of top bodybuilders that don't have the education that we've been presented with that don't have the thought process of 
moving origin to assertions and they just train hard. They lift, maybe they even lift shitty, we could say, you know, with crap form, but they still are the most muscled people around. So I think if you had to like distinctly pick like, Hey, like pink, like Joe says, like pinky dumbbell execution and finesse and you never train hard versus kind of shit form and you train really, really hard. The training really hard person is probably going to get a lot, a lot farther. Um, and now that's not to say that you can do a little, you can, you need to do both at the same time and that there's sometimes too much finesse that takes away from effort. And there's also so much effort that you take away from the mess side. And then it's always that middle ground. Which yeah. is what true plays. There's different times. There's different times for balance of it too. I feel like, you know, like throttles on a plane almost, you know, it's uh you know, off season, whenever you're not close to a show and the calories are super high, you know, like, yeah, don't get loose with your form, but you know, if you get an extra rep or two because you got slightly out of position, cool. You know, if you're two oh, weeks out okay. and you get slightly out of permission position and you tweak your lower back or pull a hamstring or something, you're a dumbass. You know, so it's like different, different, you know, thought processes for different times of the year too. Hunter, you said like currently, like almost just recently right that um progression in the gym is starting to slow or get stagnant i don't know if it's declining or not because we're now like 11 days out um any program changes now that like what do you do when you see like in prep this kind of a backslide or stall out how do you make operations i will definitely own it as of you know five days ago the logbook started slipping until then it was maintaining uh, as of five days ago, we started slipping on some exercises and maintaining on some. So, you know, take that for what it is, transparency, right? Um, what did we do when that started happening? Um, my volume, uh, honestly, pretty much as low as we want it to be already. So what we did was, you know, we just reduced the load a little and stuck to our rep range. Um, you know, still, you know, forcing that last rep, you know, I'm not getting like a full forced rep, but, you know, I'm getting the last rep I complete. And then, you know, he's helping me finish, you know, the last one. So plus one on everything still. And, you know, um, this coming week, we might even take that out depending, you know, like on the look and, you know, how we feel just, you know, managing and at this point, you know, and as bad as it is, uh, much as I hate it because training is the part that I like, it really is about just presenting the best look. I feel like at this point, you know, inside of two weeks out. So um, I don't foresee us having to really pull much more. Um, like I told you all in the text messages, but uh, about to, you know, finish up with y'all and then eat and go have what's going to be my last hard leg day before Chicago. So I'll train quads today, okay. hard, and then the hamstring day Thursday, hard, and uh, – a pull that day, probably. Uh, honestly, last time I pulled, I dropped from six plates down to five. This last time, I'll probably go to four and just really, you know, spend a lot of time under tension, feeling the exercise, feeling my body work. You know, just, you know, obviously their deadlifts is good for, you know, energy expenditure. So I want to keep that relatively the same for the day. But, uh, yeah, so we're getting close enough to where stuff will start getting kind of pulled back. But, you know, I'm – we're 12 days out now so that's my big thing is you know what 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 put the tissue on you will keep the tissue on you and 
you know, as long as you're not like in the last little nitty gritty part where your calories are super low or you're doing like an hour and a half of cardio a day and you're absolutely hammered, if you're used to training like that, I feel like it's relatively safe to continue to train like that all the way up close to the show. Yeah, I think those are great takeaways. I get people that ask that question like, like, what do you do with your training on prep when you see strength dropping? Like people want to find the tricks around maintaining it. It's like, the, the sad truth is, is like we're in a state of diminished recovery resources and, and eventually that far, that, that fatigue far out, out seeds what we can recover from. And, and, and we wouldn't be productive anymore if we did kept like lowering volume to where you have a strength based workout. Um, and, and so I think that that is the best advice. Like you have kind of a baseline rock bottom volume you get to, and if load in the reps are dropping down, it doesn't make sense to just do like, well, I'm doing four reps now. It's like, well, that's from a safety standpoint, that's not right. But also we want to stay in that productive, you know, range that's reasonable, which like you, if you're staying like nine to 11, like, and you pick odd numbers, which normally that's not acceptable, but your hunter so will allow <laughs> usually you say like a 13 rep they're like what um must be 8 to 12 well you know it's like 10 10 10 to 12 makes me feel like i'm doing something wrong if i hit an eight or a nine and nothing's wrong with an eight or a nine but it's like i never <laughs> usually make it past 11 so it's like nine to 11 <laughs> yeah. it's the thing yeah so i think i think uh maintaining effort is very important within reason yeah, I talked about I talked about that the other day. I think I think effort's one of the uh, the biggest things that people you know just don't pay attention to. I'm prep as bad as that sounds, you know, because they're uh, you know towards the end they is getting that 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 check their boxes mode, and you know you can't just be like going through the motions. And I know this is a lot of like cliche like sayings, but you know at the end of the day they're cliche sayings for a reason. That's they're true. You know, effort, effort is king. Effort burns calories. There's a big difference, you know, going through the motions of a six to eight set workout versus, you know, taking every single one of those six to eight working sets, you know, to the death, you know, like we do. So, you know, there is a big difference and effort does play a huge role, especially at the end. I agree, especially like when you have, so I think volume drives the most fatigue. So we're now reducing your number of sets. So those last reps are really the ones that I think will hold on to the tissue and if your perception in prep, if fatigue is really high and it's harder, because it's going to feel harder the last reps as you get more fatigued. If those are like, well, I'm going to back off a few. Like how many of those stimulating reps are you now removing from the limited sets you're already doing? And that's when you can really start seeing your logbook drop off. And so if you want to maintain it, I think it also is important to maintain that effort level in training, just like you're saying. Uh, another thing you, you, you brought up, Hunter, was – um, yeah, you know, ordering like when you would pull exercises at all. And it kind of got me thinking about like the actual days prior to the show. Does your split, because you keep the same split. So you have some guys like to train every day of, of kind of peak week into the show. Do you still take your normal off days or does it change at all? Um, like the so I'm one of those people that's big on maintaining routine as much as possible. So when we went to that new split Tuesdays and Fridays or the off days now, okay, 
which is really awesome because guess what? I get to fly in on Tuesday and the day before the show is Friday and I'm not supposed to be training that day anyways. But, about a plane. you know, Wednesday and Thursday are my, my, my push and my pull days. So I get to go and train push and pull and then it's like nothing even changed. So it's, uh, it's you know, that's my thing is I like, you know, especially the last, you know, couple of weeks, and I know you're probably big on this too, but eating the same things at the same times with the same amount of fluids every single day, maintaining every factor as much as possible, you know, especially, you know, the week of, because no matter how much you plan, no matter how much help you have, something always happens. And the more you have under your control, the least stressed you'll be. Man, I think that makes the best bodybuilders. And I, that's missing so much. And all these people that I coach and see is that we are like monotonous, just creatures of routine. Everything's the fucking same. That's why we set up our lifestyles to just like, I work at home. So my meals are the same time. I train at the same time. I go to bed at the same time. I hate traveling. I hate going out. Well, don't, don't get me wrong. I like to travel and go out. But there's there's times of the year for I'm perhaps not the time of the year for it it gives me genuine anxiety to be out of my routine especially as we get close yeah I, I enjoy bodybuilding and, and, and that more than like doing some of the other activities so but I have people that are just all over the place and they're wondering like why am I not making progress like dude you can't even string like a couple days together consistently the best bodybuilders have done that year after year and, and, and that that is checking the block but it's, it's also like there's a, there's a quality within that check mark too, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I think uh, that, that's missed as well. But I like that on peak week because I'm the same way as I pick my flight times to where my day doesn't change, you know, I can still wake up yeah. at the same time. And uh, the one thing I did different for New York is I actually trained the day before the show, but I did it just like I would do for the show time. So I get up had a light pump just like I would for the show and I did my normal normal diet and then for the show I pretty much did the same thing so it's like man your peak week there it was like the same shit every day it's like I know it's not very exciting but I actually like had a pre more predictable look on stage right um so I, I like that uh you know keeping keeping the routine well you know at the end of the day if you do it right and you're not one of those people that's like shooting all the bullets and throwing the gun in the last three or four days you should know relatively what you want to look like and how you're going to look and you know what's going to make you look what you're expecting to look is having the same exact routine as what's been making you look that way Yep. You know, it's just, uh, at the end of the day, it really is, it really is that simple. People want to overcomplicate it so much. They're like, oh, I look so sick a week out. It's like, then why don't you keep on doing exactly what you were doing when you were a week out and then maybe slightly reduce your sodium and pull a little bit of water. Maybe, you know, it's yeah. like, instead they just turn everything upside down and like dump the, dump the bodybuilding toolbox out. So your ebook yeah. is not going to be a big seller hunter. Because you didn't have, <laughs> you, your, your approach wasn't complicated. I know, right? <laughs> we were literally talking about this off camera. Yeah, it's not about no. just creating that predictable model in peak week, like he said, with keeping the variables as tangible as possible. So I, I won't keep. Well, doing it, 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 I talk about this all the time with people, and John can attest to this too. It's like people want to talk about how bodybuilding at the highest level is like, you know chemical warfare and 
you know, just absolutely ridiculous and asinine and this, that, like, show me who they are because I know most of them and I know that's not the case. I know most of them are just fucking OCD, anal, weirdos like I am that do everything right and they have been doing everything right for 10 or 15 years now. (laughs) You know, it's, it's... it really is that simple. If people just don't like hearing, it takes ten or fifteen years. Yeah, those are those are truths, man. Um, I'll, I'll let you go because I know that you need to get to training and probably eating. And uh, my even my mental capacity for these things like declines so fast talking to people. <laughs> so I try to hang in there. Well, my my thing with them is is it's like. I start like losing the mental capacity to, uh, you know, I have meaningful conversation, but I'm on like the phone with like kindred spirits who understand what I'm like dealing with. So it's like, just like talk, talking to talk with, with you. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, no, for sure. It was, it was fun. Um, tell, cause I know you have your series on, uh, on YouTube for your prep, like for, for people that want to follow along, like, is it mainly your YouTube content that you're pushing out so they can see it? Yeah. So, um, I'm putting out a video a week, at least right now, either through Labrata or gas. Those are the two companies that I'm doing, you know, the actual like prep series for, if you will. Um, and those are the videos you're going to have like the full training sessions, you know, like the in-depth breakdowns of, you know, like, the new split, it'll have, you know, me posing rounds, you know, thought process behind prep, like the actual meat and potatoes information is definitely all on YouTube. Um, You know, that being said, I'll always, you know, make announcement posts on Instagram, whenever stuff's going up. And then I'll typically, you know, I do like smaller educational tidbits on Instagram and stuff. So, you know, both places are good places to follow along for information. Yeah. That's why I wanted you on just because I I want, doesn't have to be high level guys, but just guys that are going through a logical thought process, explaining what they're doing. And uh, you're an awesome one. That's one, you're at a high level, but you're also, I, I, I watch your YouTube videos. I follow in the prep series because it's insightful too. And you explain the why behind what you do. And that's always the bodybuilders I connected with. Cause if I understood the why kind of gives me some application to, to, apply it to myself in the gym. So I think your prep series has been really well. So I'll put that in the show notes for everyone to, to check out and follow along. And, uh, and I'm, I'm excited, man, to see you in Chicago. Um, you know, the judge, it is what it is, but I think you're bringing something really special. And, uh, and I, I just wish you the best out there, man. We'll kill it. And then, uh, we'll definitely be killing food afterwards. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Whatever I can do to help you out while we're out there. We'll have a Airbnb and we'll just be hanging out from Tuesday on. So you're more than welcome to come hang out whenever if you want. And then let's definitely smash some food after. Yeah. Sounds good, man. We're we're actually staying at the host hotel. We Okay, cool. We yeah. debated it a lot, but I we like that convenience, but we're gonna have to figure out maybe we'll bring a microwave in there or something. I don't know. So Yeah, go buy a microwave from Walmart. Usually Tim, usually Tim sets up like a conference room of microwaves. We'll see. Yeah, he usually got like a little bank of them. But I feel like for you, especially how you like your food, like the 30 bucks from Walmart might be worth it. Yeah. have to smuggle it in a suitcase. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, man, thank you so much for joining us and uh, appreciate your time a lot. I know how busy you are. I know what prep time means as well. So, again, thank you.
Of course, John. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for having me on, Luke, as well. It was fun talking with you. Yeah, um, for more information, head to j3university.com for you know anyone that's interested in actually learning the whys behind just stuff like we talked about today. This is J3U Podcast, and we will speak to you next time.